Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Abby Duty and Curtis Wister, the Portland Press-Herald and Holton Pioneer Times to my Bangor Daily News. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> good. Good, Ben. How are you? Well, I'm, we're doing really good, right? As, uh, I think it's summertime here, and we're enjoying some of the summertime in Maine, which is, I think, where everybody strives to be, um, which, is, which has been really good. But we wanted to talk about a specific uh, topic today, and it can be a hard topic to talk about. But I think with a lot of our clients, um, you know, they start coming in. And again, we're talking about life challenges, right, is aligning money to life purpose. And sometimes what we're, we're digging into or we hear about afterwards is sometimes there's relationship issues that are, that are happening, right, is, mm-hmm. you know, you get to retirement and all of a sudden the person, all t- all of a sudden the person that you want to spend a lot of time with is maybe uh, you're kind of figuring out that that relationship is not something you want to go forward with a whole lot or I'm looking forward and thinking, hey, I have 30 more years of my life here. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have a lot of the fun stuff I want to do. And again, maybe that partner that I have is not the one that I want. Right. And, and again, that's, that's tough, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a sad thing and it's tough for everybody around it. But again, those sorts of things happen in life. And for that reason, that was something we wanted to have as a topic when we, all of us have discussed, cause we've had clients go through it um, or we have clients that are going through it. So with that, we wanted to, we want to bring an expert in and, and it's not, not just someone that just said, Hey, you know, I, I have expertise in divorce, but maybe specifically about divorce that, that is maybe in or closer to retirement. And you're hearing this is a theme that's happening and it's being called uh, lots of things, whether it be gray divorce, silver divorce, diamond divorce, boomer divorce. So you're hearing those as these trends, right? And so we want to have someone that works with that population more, not just, hey, here's just generalized uh, divorce stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, we were looking for an expert. So we're looking for someone that also had a lens around finance and around uh, maybe a designation, which we've seen a little bit in the industry about certified financial litigator. You know, that's an important part. So thinking about aligning your financial assets to success of a divorce over time. So that was that was where we were searching that out. We actually did a blind request over to Joanne Myers. And Joanne uh, is a an attorney for Novick and Myers uh, in, uh, is it Kelmsford, Massachusetts? And... and- so- Chelmsford. Yep. So Chelmsford, Massachusetts. So we reached out to, to Joanne and, and just explained, hey, this is the thing we want to talk about with you. Would you be open to it? And she was fantastic. We were really appreciative of that. So Joanne, want to welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, Ben. I am happy to be here today and happy to help whoever listens to this program to maybe give them some guidance about what happens with gray-haired divorce. Perfect. So Joanne, one of the first things we'll always do with our guests is to start digging into a little bit of you here. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about kind of your upbringing and kind of growing up? Sure. Uh, I actually grew up in Stratford, Connecticut. It's a little town on Long Island Sound on the shore about an hour and a half train ride from New York City. And I had the privilege of living in a smaller town, but being close to a big city. I came from immigrant grandparents who came from Germany, Austria, Poland, Czechoslovakia, all of them uh, came over. So I am very new, you know, in terms of, you know, who came over to the United States and and how they got started. Uh, Came from a middle-class, hardworking family, uh, lived in a very small home growing up. But the one thing that did happen is I had a dad who had a lot of vision, very intelligent, and he actually purchased some land in an old farm in Maine. And then there goes my connection to me. (laughs) Excellent. So, so Joanne, so your, your dad purchasing land in Maine, can you talk about, well, what Maine represents to you then? Cause I know we've, we've chatted about this on the, uh, on the side here. I'd love to just kind of 
because I, I know what, why Joanne, obviously she has the expertise here, but what was really great is you said, geez, I have this really great affinity for Maine. Can you just kind of expand on that for us? Maine is a second home to me. My father purchased this land when I was born. I learned to walk in Maine. <laughs> I, I've been up there all the time. And what Maine did teach me was even another way of, of life. And I think you know, in this world, a lot of people don't understand that everyone lives at a different level. Um, we in the United States, um, we're quite fortunate. I mean, there are some that are impoverished in this nation, but you need to have an understanding of how people live. And in Maine, uh, the farmhouse that my father bought had no running water, no hot water, <laughs> non-potable water, uh, hand dug 20 foot well. I mean, we lived very, um, in a very rural area. And it was rough to begin with. My dad built this farm back. He um, actually worked on it himself, put windows and roof on. So this is the type of background I come from. I come from someone that understands things don't always come easy and it takes hard work to get where you're going to be. If you're willing to put the hard work in, you're going to be successful. So that's that's a little bit about my background. And Maine to me has become now a vacation place. Um, I'm an avid ATV enthusiast. I head up to Greenville and Moosehead Lake and I, I love the state of Maine. It just offers a lot people. And, and Abby, of course, is our ATV uh, resident <laughs> in residence uh, on our team as well. So yes, yes. <laughs> you on the trails. Sometimes. Yes, yes. We love the trails around Greenville. They are wonderful. Um, yeah, we've been all over the state. It's so much fun. Yeah. So you guys can high five on the way through. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. So, and, and, and join you kind of explained to me too, you have family still that, right? So from that farmhouse with your family, you still have family here as, as well, right? Yes. My uh, sister ended up permanently relocating up to that uh, farmhouse area and married uh, someone who is uh, an assistant deputy sheriff up in Kennebec County. So, and a retired forest ranger, we get, we get the best of all worlds. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you get to uh, now you have a kind of a um, kind of an insider view on, on kind of taking advantage of all that Maine has to offer too with the Maine guide thing and right and oh right, yeah yeah so from an ATVing perspective that's gonna be great you know where all the hidden spots are oh yes we're lost without Uncle Hal <laughs> there you go <laughs> so Joanna wanna wanna kind of pivot uh, towards your path towards the legal practice right so you know, you kind of talked about the values and especially from the farm perspective and kind of getting on kind of that, that, that working area, right. And you get these kind of main values here. Can you talk about getting towards that, that path on a legal practice and then especially kind of working towards uh, divorce as a, as an item of passion for you? Yeah. Ironically, as a child, I always wanted to be a lawyer, but I had a proclivity to math and for math. And so I thought when I started college that I would start out as an accounting major and, you know, I'm going to do the numbers game and then finance. The accounting major turned into a finance management major. And then I started to think, wow, this is not really very personal and I would like to help people. That's my goal in life. And I took a business law class my senior year of college and I said, well, that's it. I'm not getting the MBA in finance. I'm, I'm going to go to law school. And I did. And I ended up at Suffolk University in Boston. So I uh, moved to the big city and it was great. I had a, I had a good education there. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of connections. And I also realized very young that the more people you know, uh, opportunities can open for you. Mm -hmm. So I started working part-time uh, at the state house for a junior senator. And that was um, something to help me survive financially. <laughs> but it, it opened doors in the state house for me. I, I met a lot of people. And I also went to the courthouse and I went up to the register's office and said, I don't know anybody here. I'm looking for an, a second job and I'll even volunteer. I don't care if I get paid. I'm just trying to figure out how this all works. So they were kind enough to give me a summer, inter summer law internship with uh, Judge McGovern, who was the first justice at the uh, probate and family court. Uh, and there, there began my, my uh, just exposure to the divorce process and divorce law and estate planning. So, and, and then from there, right? So you, you start 
kind of that that kind of launches your career there. Um, so can you kind of go towards, right? So it sounds like you have a, your own practice today. Um, you know, can you talk about kind of that progression in terms of what, uh, what your firm is doing, um, again, kind of building your own firm, what is it doing? What is it services you offer? And then how have you helped divorcing couples over the years? Okay. So let me start back after I got out of law school. Mm. I had a general practice career in law. Uh, which was wonderful because it enabled me to practice a lot of different aspects of the law and figure out where I really wanted to end up. And I was always drawn back to that divorce um, family estate planning, that helping families, that that's really where my draw was. Hmm. Uh, I worked on a appeal of a murder case. And after that, I said, criminal law is not for me. So <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> and then I started my own firm back in 1996 with a six, six month old baby. So wow. yeah, it was a little crazy. <laughs> wow. I look back and say, I don't know how I did it, but I'm still here all these years later. So my firm, it's called Novick and Myers. I'm actually a sole proprietor. Uh, the Novick part um, was an old boss of mine who had passed on. And I kept his name after he passed. Mm-hmm. And I have an associate attorney, attorney Janine Holtzworth. We both practice um, law. She's been practicing for 20 years and 25 years, I'm sorry. And I've been practicing for 35 years now. So we've, we've got a lot of experience behind us. As you said, we're located in Chelmsford, Mass. Yep. And we primarily do family law, which is an, anything from divorce, paternity, custody issues, support issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also do estate planning, estate administration. Uh, I am the vice president of the Merrimack Valley Estate Planning Board uh, in the area. And we also um, offer personal injury services. And my training also of of recent years has been in mediation and collaborative law, which we'll talk about in a little while. Perfect. So that's what I did. So Joanne, can you talk a lot, a little bit more about then, okay, divorcing couples, right? So, so someone, obviously one of the couple is uh, coming to you and saying, here's my issues. Can you talk about what you typically have done uh, for for that? And like, again, what, what are your services relating to divorce? And then how has that evolved, right? Is going from 1996 till today, again, I know, and I don't want to get into law changes because law, of course, is, is different from state to state as well, right? Is that, but in regards to maybe the people side of this, what have you seen? So first off, how have I helped divorcing couples over the years? Um, If it's couples with children, I hold children near and dear to my heart. And it's always been a priority for me. I don't care if I represent someone or not. If if whatever's happening is going to affect those children, I am going to bring, bring that out first and foremost, because that's who I am. So that's been, that's been wonderful. Um, I, if I can be successful and, and believe that after this process is over, that I've somehow helped children, that makes it worthwhile for me. But as far as helping the individual going through the divorce, it's also important. I do have a finance background. I'm, I am the certified financial litigator. So I always try to bring focus to a cost benefit analysis how much money are we spending and what are we getting out of this process? Now, unfortunately, at at the time of divorce, people are very emotional. It's raw. And and there are different stages in the grieving process that for the breakup of the family. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they don't want to hear about the cost benefit analysis. They just, Mm -hmm. they're in pain. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do try to bring them back to that focus because ultimately no one's going to be happy with a huge legal bill and, you know, getting to the same result that they could have had, had they not spent thousands and thousands more of in dollars. Right. And, and, and I think that's one thing we want to talk about as a topic today is right. Is uh, again, what's, what it was a good result for going through a process and what's a bad result and, and kind of what are you getting for kind of going through a certain process versus not. So I think that's something I want to table for, for later. Cause that's a, that's a really key thread to cover. Yeah. Can you, 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 you touched on it a little bit, Joanne, in terms of like some of your kind of core value and key purpose, right. Is kids, which is an interesting angle here is, Hey, if there's kids involved, that's something that you're really passionate about is making sure that they're kind of first and foremost here. So can you talk about what you love about your job? 
I love to help people. I get a great feeling of satisfaction when I can address an issue with somebody and get them over the bridge to a point where there's a resolution and they can live with it. I I love that feeling. I don't think there's any, any feeling better than that. I have never been bored in 35 years, not one minute on my job. I don't know how many people can say that. Yeah, Um, Yeah, that's great. It's constantly keeping me on my toes. The law evolves and every person's situation is totally unique. So I do love it. Yeah. And I, I think we echo that too on our side, Joanne, because it's like, yeah. again, from the financial plan, again, you're spending a lot of time in the financial end too, right? Marrying the law to the relationship, to the money and and putting those three things in. And, and you know, I, I think from us, which is why, you know, I think we've won our conversations so far, it's been pretty easy and natural is, Hey, that's kind of what we're doing on the financial planning side, right? Is, hey, where you're, where are you heading and what are your life goals? Here's where your money is. Let's kind of tie those resources together and try to get those three things to all fit to make sense. So, yeah, I think that's when you get when, when there's win, win, wins is when everybody is, is kind of the happiest and getting people to those results as a service and as a bridge is a really kind of gets us up in the, in the morning and gets us uh, kind of that, that jump in our step. So, at this point, Joanne, I want to talk to kind of the, the topic at hand, again, that silver divorce, gray divorce, boomer divorce, things that we've been hearing out there. First of all, I think it's always helpful to define it, right? So, you know, and sometimes what we've kind of discovered in this podcast is we, when people hear seniors, it's always somebody older than them, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm 95, but the, there's a senior here. It's like, well, I'm young because I'm 95. So there's, we all don't tend to label ourselves a certain way. Can you talk about that? Like what, what's, what's, what is this in terms of this gray divorce thing? Sure. I think historically when people use the term gray divorce, they, they, they looked at it more as a long-term marriage, not necessarily as older people that are getting divorced. But as the time has evolved and, you know, in more recent years, I think when you talk about gray divorce, most people are going to say it's people that are over 50 and probably been in a long-term marriage, which we define as usually 20 years plus or more. So that's kind of the definition of a gray hair divorce or a silver divorce. Okay. Can you talk about why is this becoming a prevalent thing? Because sometimes it's, well, there's fashionable things that happen in these buzzwords and things, but why is this becoming more of a trend that you think maybe nationally? Mm -hmm. I think um, before I jump right to that, I just want to put a few facts out there. So so understand a couple of things. So divorce rates actually fell between the years of 2008 and 2016. So it fell 18%. That's how much it fell. But people have to understand that if they look at the U.S. uh, Census Bureau statistics as of November of 18, 2018, in 1978, 59% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 34 were married. Mm-hmm. In 2018, that's down to 29% yeah. of the adults, 18 yeah. to 34, were married. So you've got to understand that we're not getting as many young people marrying as we did years ago. That in part relates to why divorce rates have somewhat fallen and also relates somewhat to why the divorce rate for people over 50 has increased. Also, if you're over 50 and you've already been divorced once, the divorce rate is two and a half times higher for that second marriage. So it it just gets higher exponentially. Joanne, but, I, and I know that's a theme because I've been we've been reading that too. Why do you think that is? So is it is it there's like maybe a confidence level of hey I've already gone through this once and and now I've married and you know that wasn't so bad the first time and I just say it's okay to get divorced again. Why is that two times hot two and a half times higher? I'm not sure anyone wants to go through that again. <laughs> <laughs> but um. I do think, and this is kind of going right into why is gray-haired divorce prevalent, we've changed uh, as people. Our attitudes have totally changed through the years. I mean, when I started practicing, you know, divorce was still like, oh, you know, you're getting divorced. And nowadays, the attitudes towards divorce in all family forms have Mm -hmm. changed. I mean, we have all kinds of, of families now. So I don't think it's as big a deal. Nobody worries about what somebody's going to say if I do this. And we have also become a very much me society. 
it's all about me. Right. Yeah. Individualism. And I want to be happy and I want to do what I want to do. So yeah, if I'm not happy, I'm not necessarily looking as much to my family unit. I'm looking at me personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why you've seen an uptick and in part, it's not the entire reason, obviously, but yeah. And, and I want to add a layer to that, Joanne, in terms of uh, kind of, again, the name of the podcast, retirement success in Maine, right. Is so within Maine itself, the statistics we're seeing again from the U S census Bureau and varying data there, but we're seeing the, the percentage for being divorced is about one to two, uh, one and a half percent higher in the state of Maine than it is nationally. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're seeing that because, of course, we're an older state. We're, we're, we're essentially, the by median, the oldest state in the nation. So, you know, you kind of go as a trend, if we're, if we're older anyway, then divorces anyway are going to be higher because of, of kind of our population being there in this demographic more. So, that again, which we think for us, we were just saying, hey, well, you know, as a topic, getting coverage of divorce, especially gray divorce, is more prevalent to Maine than we would probably find in other states. And and so that, that, that I think the need for today as well. Yes, I, I have heard that as well. So, you know, just looking at the population of Maine. What, obviously, then, other than just the individualistic thing that's happening in the society and kind of this me attitude that's happening more, are there other trends about why you see divorce trending up? Like, what problems do you think are happening in relationships that is causing this uh, to eventually get to divorce versus maybe just resolution or other other sorts of mediation there? There are many. So, yeah. <laughs> number two on the list, though, I think, um, is you get married and maybe for the wrong, wrong reason, maybe your father or mother said, oh, you know, he or she is a good person. They're a good provider. You know, think about this. This is going to be good for you. You get married, you stay in a relationship, you have children, and then your children leave the nest and you're an empty nester and you turn around and you look and you say, who are you Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to your spouse? And you've simply grown apart. So I think that's a, a, a large issue right now for people is who are you? Uh, Joanne, can I ask uh, maybe a follow-up question to that too, right? Is it's not just because again, going through life stages and retiring from work and maybe there's a lot of people that are are kind of just rediscovering their relationships uh, in retirement, but also COVID-19, right? And we're all, we're still sheltering in place and working from home here too and, and all that. But thinking about all these retirees right now that are not going to stores. They're not kind of having more of their time to go out and venture and go away from the relationship for some time and doing outside activities. They're mm-hmm. more in place. So I could see where if there's kind of there, if there's cracks or fractures in the relationship and now you're spending 24 seven with each other in a, in a household quarantining even more. Uh, so that could break, uh, break some of that. Can you talk, is there any kind of thing that you're seeing in terms of the COVID-19 sheltering and maybe more requests out for uh, gray divorce or divorce at this point? People have asked that question. I, I've had a steady stream of requests for divorce. I haven't seen a major uptick. Mm-hmm. I have uh, some other fellow pr- pr- um, practitioners that have seen an uptick. But I do believe that in large part, people are afraid right now to leave because of COVID. Where are they going to go? There's so many unknowns with this virus. I do anticipate there's going to be an, an, an increase at some point. I do. Gotcha. So with those people in the demographic you're talking about, so over 50, um, you know, being married for 20 plus years, generally that is a group that has a larger asset base um, that they're splitting up when they do get divorced. Um, So how do those financial assets play into a divorce, right? Because a messy divorce can be catastrophic financially and emotionally. Um, So how does that play into it and how can you minimize that financial disaster, I guess. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sides to that question. Too. Yeah, I'm sure. I know it's pretty, yeah. <laughs> so first off, you need to know your parties. Sometimes you run into a very traditional marriage where only one party is well-versed in what the finances are. Mm-hmm. And if the other person isn't, the first thing they need to do is to get up to speed. Um, and some people give me the deer in the headlight look and say, 
I'm not going to get it even if you try to get me up to speed. Mm-hmm. So that's where financial professionals uh, should be involved. Mm-hmm. And depending on the process that you utilize for divorce, whether it's collaborative and you have a neutral financial professional, or if not, if it's a traditional divorce, I encourage anyone that doesn't understand, and even if they do, to have a professional by their side so that if they have any questions about what is this asset, are there tax income tax ramifications to this, they have someone that they're, that's knowledgeable they can trust. So. Mm. So, Joanne, I kind of have a two-part question for you. Kind of zooming out, if someone who, I guess, how can someone approach divorce? Say, you know, I'm in a relationship and I feel like, you know, it's just we're headed that way. Kind of what are some things that kind of lead to that? And then the part second uh, second part of that question, sorry, is how can someone go about finding, you know, proper representation? I know specifically you're in Massachusetts, but say us here in Maine, you know, what are some ways that we can kind of find someone like yourself who specializes, you know, in the field? So getting back to the first part of the question, Mm -hmm. uh, communication and trust is the basis of all relationships. And a lot of times either one or one or both are broken and communication is, is so key. So if you are facing divorce, if there is any hope from either of you that you would want this relationship to continue, Mm. go get, go to counseling. Um, A lot of people see that as a weakness Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. especially people, you know, that are more from my generation, they don't believe in counseling, but honestly, if you're ever going to try to repair this relationship, if you have any desire to repair it, it's the only way to go because your communication system is broken. Mm. Joanne, can I can I stop you there? Yes. Why why the resistance to counseling? What what what's the because I I know in Maine I can see it, but you know what what's been your experience in terms of why people don't want to do that? I think from a very young age, people years and years ago, they were taught that counseling is needed for people that have weakness. And I think that people feel if they go to a counselor, they're, they're saying they have weakness. It doesn't make sense to mm. maybe millennials and people that, that have been more experienced with counseling. Mm. But back in the back in the day, it just wasn't something anyone did unless you had a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I meant you were mentally deficient in some way. Uh, it wasn't looked at as a way to save a marriage. Hmm. Are you seeing people because of reluctance to go get counseling or they're not maybe fully committing to it because of what that stigma is that they, they maybe are skipping past it and going right to kind of final conclusions with divorce. Is that happening? I have seen that. Yes. And, and it's interesting. Sometimes, um, when somebody's getting divorced and wants counseling, the other person is already so far ahead yeah. and and resolved that this divorce is going to happen yeah. that they're in two different places and it's just not going to work. I've mm. seen that. And, yeah. and it's t- and right. And then you, but you got to get them to the same place, right? So that's going to be tough, right? Is either you're back something at backing somebody down from the wall of I'm on the divorce and we're going to be there to then come back and salvage or, or not, and then trying to get them to that same place. Right. Yes. It it can work. It can work. Both ways. Yes. But the longer that you let it stew and the person that's feeling like they're not happy, doesn't say anything. It's just, it makes it worse and it may be irreparable. So. Okay. So, and I know I wanted to kind of bring forward to what Curtis is asking to in the second part. So they get to the point or one of the parties get the poorest part is like, you know what? I we've maybe done the mediation, the counseling, we've really started to, we try to work on the relationship and it's just not going to work. And one or both of them gets to that point. And they say, probably I should go to somebody to have this conversation about what's next. Mm-hmm. And they say, I, I need probably representation to figure out what's best for me here. So how would they go find that representation? What I would encourage people to do is when you're researching for attorneys, you want to find somebody that has been collaboratively trained. They're trained in collaborative law. And the reason being is that that's a person that's going to give you that option of trying to get a divorce without the win win and fight battle in court. 
Mm. And um, someone that mediates is also good, someone that does mediation. Anybody with a CFL designation, certified financial litigator designation, is someone that's going to understand finances. Mm -hmm. There are many people that hang shingles that are well-intentioned, but they don't get it. And that's dangerous, especially if you have significant assets. You're not going to be fooling around with that. You know, it's a really good point because we we see that too is in Maine, you know, we have a lot of kind of general practicing attorneys, it feels like. Mm-hmm. And while they all do, they all do a really great job and they serve a really great purpose because they serve access, right? Is a lot of times it's really tough to get good access to, to an attorney. So having one that's locally there available to you is, is a good thing. But then when it comes to maybe more complex issues, you know, maybe I have to go with someone that, that has specialized more. And, and again, that's, that's, I think, to what you just said is, hey, going to maybe something that's a little bit out of your market, or maybe it's a little bit more of a drive because of how rural we are as a state. That's important to maybe just think about that as extra steps. So I want to want to make sure I highlighted that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, can you share with us um, a story, generic, of course, um, of a divorce that went well? So what is a good outcome of a divorce? Um, and were, were there some characteristics of the relationship prior to the, the to the divorce that you know had this good outcome, or are there trends that you see or? How can a divorce be successful? I consider a a successful divorce as one where even though both parties aren't happy, (laughs) the result is actually equitable. And sometimes we joke around and saying, well, if both of them are a little unhappy, then we must have done a good job financially at least. Mm -hmm. If somebody's really happy, then somebody probably got screwed. So. Mm Just the way it is. <laughs> but I think the easiest cases for an attorney to deal with are, are dealing with people that even though they're emotionally hurt, they have intelligence and they they are have the ability to pull themselves back from that emotional hurt and say, mm-hmm. okay, you know, the, we, I have to do this and let's get through this. I think the worst results are um, people who are narcissistic, who are greedy. And again, they're all about me and the individual and not about their families. People that tend to focus and put their families first, we can usually bridge the gap and find a way and and resolve things. But if you have that other psychological profile, you're probably in for a long battle and some trouble. And it's it's very sad. So that's what I see. Yeah. Joanne, I I just want to ask one little thing there. I know you're going to continue on that story, but you know, Divorce is so damaging. It feels like to lots of different parties. But you, you know, you mentioned uh, first was one thing that you really have a, a a keen eye towards as kids. Now with gray divorce, right? So if you're maybe boomer age at this point, more likely uh, you have kids that are a little bit more grown, right? Mm. Can you talk about again in this point? what you're seeing from a kid perspective, observing maybe the parents divorcing at this stage, because I think it's just good to observe from an outsider perspective of how are people seeing me and my relationship and what's been the impact you've seen on kids? Very interesting question, because after 35 years of practicing, I have observed that it is more difficult for older children to deal with a parent's divorce than it is for younger children in most instances. Hmm. Younger children are pretty malleable, and they tend to adapt to certain situations. But when you're older, you have this long-term view of the family unit. And it can be very, very damaging to relationships with older children. And and you see a lot um, that one side or the other has no relationship with that older child for a period of time. Interesting. Again, I, w- I wanted you to get back to the kind of good outcome story, but I, I, I just kind of had to throw that in there because I think that was a was a data point to put in. Well, one of the one of my recent good outcomes that kind of just stays in the forefront is it was a collaborative law case, which we'll, we can talk about what that is later. Um, I had it was a long term marriage, a gray haired divorce. A pretty traditional type of marriage where one spouse was the bread earner and one spouse was really the homemaker and had limited financial acumen as to what was going on. And we brought in uh, a financial person uh, for the person that had the limited financial acumen. And we had a coach 
uh, in our collaborative case, uh, who is a mental health expert. Hmm. And one person was uh, had his foot on the ex- or his or her foot on the accelerator, and we one didn't, and we call it the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> <laughs> One wants full speed ahead, and one is like, this is not going to happen. So it was a very interesting case. Uh, Older children, obviously, out of the house, but involved in the background. And why I look at this case and find it as a good result is they had really grown apart as far as interests, physical appearance, which we didn't have a chance to talk about some of the other issues as to why this gray-haired divorce phenomenon is happening, but activity levels, physical uh, fitness levels, um, appearance, you know, some people, it's important to them. We're going to live longer, according to statistics. You sit there and you say, I don't want to stay in this for that long and then be stuck on a couch. I'm, I'm an active person. And, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. And some people tried to bridge that gap. And in fact, in this particular case, they did try to bridge that gap, but it, it just didn't work. So uh, they ended up divorcing. But what was great about the story was even though the person had the foot on the accelerator, with the, with the help of a coach, we were able to slow things down, but to also speed things up so that the parties met in the middle. We were able to educate the person that had limited financial acumen and able to get assistance for that person so that they weren't so scared about what was their future and their ability to actually run a household on their own. And the children, there was a wedding ongoing through this whole process. And mm. I mean, they had oh, a gosh. lot to deal with while their parents were getting divorced. But with the assistance of the coach, who was the mental health professional, we were able to talk about how everything was going to to progress. We were able to talk about how everyone was going to finance this, the wedding, and it worked out great. And actually, in the end, these people are still talking to each other, which is always a win-win, yeah. <laughs> especially for the sake of the children. Uh, as one divorce judge has said, and it's always stuck out in my mind, you may no longer be husband and wife, but parents are forever. And that is the truth. You will see each other for a lifetime if your children have children, Mm because you'll be sharing different activities with your grandchildren. Hopefully you will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Joanne, because I just want to maybe emphasize the lesson you just shared, because I think it's an important one. What I just heard you say was, hey, you know, here's here's maybe one part of the couple, then here's the other, and assembling the team to essentially address the gaps so that when they decouple going forward, that they have either the acumen, the literacy level, the education part, so that they can they can see how that they can maybe live apart going forward. Right. So you kind of get to like not only just mediate the relationship to that it's it's at an even place and and it can work, but also see the future. Cause I think that's that's also tough for us when we say, Hey, I'm sitting down with somebody. And if they just can't see what the future is going to look like and they're so in the present and they're so just emotionally invested in today mm. that it, it just, you know, it, it, it makes all of our lives difficult. So it, it feels like, a, you know, what you just kind of said as a successful outcome is assembling this team. And, and I, I guess personally for us as the, the three of us and kind of working with clients in Maine, you know, privately, I'd say that's something that is a successful outcome for us as we're interviewing people on this type of show yeah. is to say, Hey, here's people that we've had conversations with and in certain scenarios, we know who to pull in in different situations so that we can have maybe a better conversation, more well-rounded to provide you kind of better results and outcomes. Because when we put the person at the center, what we're trying to do, then I think magic happens when it's about us and it's all about how, what is, what is Ben Abby Curtis doing or Joanne's doing, you know, then it feels disingenuous. So, you know, I, I, I kudos to what you just said there. Cause I think that's a very, very important thing about when good outcomes are happening, you're, you're seeing those things thrive. So I do want to maybe now flip the script on you, right? Is so, all right, here's the good stuff. And you said, here's, here's a story about how it worked really well. Now, I think this is where everybody goes, right? It said, all right, divorce, negative. Everybody hates each other. We're all bankrupt. Attorneys got a lot of legal fees out of this and everybody loses in every case. Can we talk about, well, all right, so bad outcomes and, but can you talk about kind of stories about then again, what went badly, 
what were the characteristics of the relationship of the divorcing couple that led to it? And also defining some of the, what is a bad outcome here? Well, that's a loaded question. That's huge. (laughs) I tell people when they come to see me, honestly, how your divorce uh, process progresses depends in large part on who I'm dealing with as a person. It really does. People don't understand that psychology plays such a huge role in the divorce process. So I could have the same set of facts, but just give me two different sets of personalities and it's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. So people need to understand that. I, I, I can't change behavior. I can recommend counseling. That's all I can do. So bad outcomes, bad situations. It, it, it's it's horrific what we've seen in this office. Uh, one of, there's a, several horrible cases, but one of, they're very similar in, in one way. People can't stand each other. They'll do anything to push the other person's buttons. Money is thrown to the wind. Um, sometimes you even have parents supporting this bad behavior that are willing to throw their money into the situation. Sometimes someone has more money than the other person and tries to perpetuate the litigation to put the other person down because they know they have more money and they can keep it going. Hmm. A bad outcome always in these cases are the children. Um, the children are use, usually affected by this type of fighting and this type of viciousness. It, it, it comes out in suicidal ideation, acting out at school. So it, we've seen some horrific cases. Um, I know we're talking about gray divorce for older people, bad outcomes uh, for older people are probably somebody that's narcissistic, that wins at no cost. Um, wants every dollar they can get their hand on and is trying to push the other person down and break them because that's what they want and that's who they are. Those are hard to fix. I like to see a good outcome as at least financial equitableness. And when I say equitableness, it may not be equal division. Uh, You have to look at the financial situations to determine what's equitable. Mm. But um, I can't, I can't fix the psychology of it, unfortunately. Mm. Joanne, can I ask a follow up there? Yeah. You know, and I I think this is, so this is a, you just brought up a term, which I think is important to just investigate real quick is that financial equitableness, right? And everybody would define that differently, but I, I would imagine, right, is you just have a really interesting perspective of how people have defined it in finding the middle ground of that. How yeah. do, could, could you talk about that? Most people coming in to see me in a long-term marriage, I think basically just assume it's going to be a 50-50 division of the assets and what are we arguing about? Hmm. But I like to look at the future for everyone. And you may have a spouse that has been in the workforce for many, many years and is going to get Social Security. And even though the other spouse hasn't been in the workforce, they're only going to get half the amount of Social Security. Uh, if they've been married for 10 years, they, they get half. Hmm. How is that fair in a long-term marriage? Um, you may have a spouse that has a corporate job that gets 401k matching. Yeah. <laughs> How is the other spouse who has barely worked ever going to be able to catch up, so to speak? So mm-hmm. one way to address those situations is to say, look at equitably, we may want more than 50% of the assets to adjust for these facts. And people can rebut and say, well, social security could be gone tomorrow and you know, it, the benefit may be gone or you know, my 401k match may be gone tomorrow. But the reality of it is there's got to be a little give and take here because there's likely going to be a disparity in where these people are five to 10 years down the road. Sure. Mm. Um, Joanne, I want to zoom out a little bit. I know we just talked about both good and bad outcomes of divorce. Can we just kind of talk about the steps involved in getting a divorce? Um, And I know we've touched on various aspects of the journey, um, if you will, in this conversation, but just kind of a start to finish. Is there kind of a common sort of trajectory that you see these things go through? Well, you can always just file for divorce and get a divorce started. Mm -hmm. That that would not be my advice. I mean, unless you're in an abusive situation, obviously, if if you're being injured or hurt by somebody uh, physically and even sometimes if the emotional abuse is bad, you need to get out and you start the process. But if it's just that I'm thinking about this, things aren't horrible at home. 
I would really encourage people to have a consult and to consider um, alternative dispute uh, services, which have burgeoned burgeoned in the time that I've been in in business. And that would be mediation, arbitration, and collaborative law. Hmm. So I'll touch briefly on what they are just so people understand. Yeah, please. Mediation is a procedure. Uh, It's where both parties discuss their disputes with the assistance of a person who acts as an arbitrator. So they, it's usually another uh, attorney and they, it could be a retired judge that takes on the role and you resolve your differences out of court. You, um, you mediate an agreement and present it to the court and you're done. Mm -hmm. Never has to get into the litigation stage in court. Arbitration, uh, could be retired judge again or an attorney. It's different than mediation. You're hiring that person and saying, look, it, you're going to be the judge. Whatever you decide, that's it. You know, your decision is going to be how we resolve the case. Mm. So it's somewhat like litigation, but it's outside of court. Mm-hmm. Then there's collaborative law. It's another another way to resolve disputes. And um, instead of the fight and win approach, I say it's a troubleshoot and problem solve approach. Mm. And it, what's different about this is you each go into the process with an attorney. And usually there's always one uh, neutral that you hire, and that would be the coach, the mental health professional, who is like the glue to the process. Because when somebody's off the rails and saying, I'm not doing this, the coach comes in and addresses those emotional feelings of of each side. Mm -hmm. And it really works well. Uh, Other experts could be uh, financial neutrals uh, to assist. Um, We do vocational experts, could be business appraisers, real estate appraisers, accountants, parenting consultants, all these people can be brought in. The cost is shared by the parties Mm. and all to get towards a common goal. What I like about the process I I really enjoy is when people walk out of this process, they feel like their voice has been heard Mm -hmm. because they actually do the speaking in the collaborative law meeting, the part themselves. Hmm. Um, And we haven't really touched on this yet, but what are the costs? associated with all of this, right? You mentioned it a little bit when you mentioned collaborative law. So what is the different cost um, for each of those types of right arbitration, mediation, collaborative law, and then litigation? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a significant difference between them? Well, there can be, yes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I have to start with the litigation. Mm-hmm. People say, how much is this divorce going to cost me? That's the first thing they want to know. They don't understand that the the cost is really dependent on how crazy they're going to be. <laughs> so litigation costs are uh, our retainers run anywhere from five thousand to seventy five hundred, and the retainer is just money you give to a lawyer; they hold it, and, to, and it's a security for payment for them. Mm-hmm. Our hourly rates are three hundred an hour, which is it just an average rate; it's not high. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you went into the city in Boston, you probably could be going five hundred to seven hundred an hour for attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. So it really, it, it really is uh, less in the suburbs. But those fees, the total fees, that's just the retainer. They can go up to thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars if there's litigation. I mean, it, it, it's incredibly costly to litigate, and people mm-hmm. they don't understand the amount of work that has to be put into litigation. All the paperwork and documentation the court requires, it, it all takes time and effort. So, uh, by far, litigation is usually the most expensive. Mm-hmm. As far as a collaborative law, you're both paying your own attorneys plus you're paying a coach. So a lot of people right off off the bat throw up their hands and say, this is very expensive. But what they don't understand is collaborative law usually leads to a mediated or a resolution of the case. Litigation can go on and on and on. And Mm -hmm. if you don't like your judgment, you can appeal it. Collaborative law, you come to an agreement in the end. So Mm -hmm. it really can be much less costly, even though you think it's going to be more expensive initially. Mediation can be... um, can be very inexpensive if you kind of both have an idea of what you want and you're really just going to a professional to, you know, have a review of it and to put the final seal on it. So both of you pay for the mediator. Uh, For our office, if somebody's coming in for a mediation, we charge a retainer of $4,000 to begin with. And, you know, usually you can get by up to $10,000 and get your case done. So if it's, there's nothing unusual in it. So can you talk uh, join real quick about, um, again, another area you mentioned was arbitration. So, cause you talked about 
that is another area. So is that kind of, where does that fit in the, in the range there between the, the three you already uh, mentioned? So for arbitration, you normally, you don't have to have your own attorneys, but normally you would. And then you jointly pay a fee to the arbitrator. So generally for an arbitrator, you could be talking, you know, three to 5,000 for a retainer for the arbitrator. They just sit and they act like a judge. So, you know, it's not going to be huge money for them because they're just there for, you know, a small period of time. If it was a if it was a case that there were multiple businesses and business valuations, then obviously, you know, it's going to be more complex. Gotcha. More expensive. <laughs> um, and I, I did want to ask, I, I, I think one thing I wanted to just expand a little bit more on, uh, Joanne, uh, collaborative divorce, right, is it, it, I know that was just one of the areas we've covered a bunch in our conversation. It just seems like, again, from from something, it just seems like creating kind of this atmosphere around it seems to be like the most kind of has positivity to it. It feels like it's, it's working towards the best kind of positive result of, of a lot of the areas here. Can you talk about a little bit about where that has come from and kind of where was that, where's the genesis of it and how is that becoming more of a prevalent um, kind of methodology to divorce? Cause it, again, from my end, again, I don't have a lot of personal experience with divorce, thankfully. I would just would love to hear a little bit more about that. It probably started, uh, I would say, close to 20 years ago that p- people actually started talking about collaborative divorce. And I have to say, when I was practicing, I first looked at it and I was very skeptical because one of the aspects of collaborative law is if you don't resolve the case, your lawyers cannot. They, we've taken, we've signed a contract. We cannot go to court with you. You're going to have to start with somebody else from square one. And I thought, well, isn't that stupid? I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> But after practicing for many years, uh, you know, things change, your your philosophy changes and Mm -hmm. seeing what happens in the courts and, you know, never getting uh, necessarily results quickly. uh, It it is another process that I I really believe can work. And uh, I've had a total turnaround in my own philosophy about it, actually. Yes. Okay. So Joanne, I'm going to step away from what we've been talking about with divorce here in your practice, um, kind of the, our f- way of wrapping up our conversation with all of our guests. Um, we like to talk about your eventual retirement. Um, so naturally, the name of the show is the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. And as you reside in Massachusetts, but I know you have a deep connection to the state of Maine. So kind of what do you see as your eventual retirement and how do you see that being successful? Well, I I do hope to always maintain a, a presence in Mass, but I do expect to be spending a lot more time in Maine, <laughs> and hopefully hitting the trails and fishing and kayaking and doing all those fun things. That's awesome. Uh, but yes, y- you know, you have to look ahead and plan financially uh, for this, and um, you know, I've been doing that for a lot of years, so. Well, appreciate it. Joanne, thank you so much for coming on. We we just really can't thank you enough um, to to lend your expertise to the show, to us, to uh, to people tuning in. It, it's really valuable. And I know for kind of going forward the, in the resource library that we have here to kind of be able to pull out when we see situations like this and say, you know, let's start with this as our car- a foundational conversation when we're entering this. Really valuable. So we can't thank you enough and appreciate your time on the show today. Uh, Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. And it was very interesting topic. And I hope we're able to help some people. All right. Appreciate it, Joanne. Take care. Take care. It's a great divorce of... Uh, of course, right? Is not the not the the topic you want to go. Hey, this is the one I'm really excited about today. Is mm. is something that I, I think people are, you know, even even the fact that people are probably listening to this is probably tough, right? Is to say, mm. hey, I'm actually tuning into something about what is that even like, and 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 again, I I think having these conversations with your partner in in retirement and thinking about what that success is, and sometimes you do figure out that success is different for. For both of you, yeah. if it's so different, then mm-hmm. then maybe that relationship is is not going to be kind of viable going forward. So again, that's that from our end, that's kind of what we've seen is is you start getting this. They've drifted apart some, and and then they go. I didn't realize how far we've drifted up apart. Mm. So that that was again the I think an impetus for us to have someone like Joanne on today to to talk about gray divorce. I guess especially from the legal side, because I think that's the the bugaboo here, right? Is yeah. what's 
what is that like? And I'm scared of it. And so you want to want to have somebody on to talk about it. But one thing we always like to do in the wrap up of course is to kind of get some kind of highlights for for us. And uh, I'll have Abby kind of lead us off here in terms of Abby, what did you kind of hear from today that you thought was an important takeaway from the show? Yeah, so I thought her concept of financial equity was very important, right? So not necessarily having things be 50-50 equal, which is what I think a lot of us envision as a divorce, right? You just split the assets in half. That may not actually be equitable for both parties. And having that equity between the two people involved in the divorce can help have a more successful divorce outcome. Um, and it's just a new way of thinking about it that I had never really thought of. So I, I, and she touched on it quite a bit. So I found that very interesting. And feasibility, right. Is sometimes it's right. not feasible to just kind of say, Hey, we're not lit. We have this house and let's just have it be 50, 50. Well, you're going right. to be living apart. How do you, how do you have that you know that way right so if you if these assets can't be split then how do you then split other assets to make it equitable and right. it's a really tough thing cuz we all have different value yeah. systems and what we right. want and and all that so that's a really good point uh, mm-hmm. Curtis from your end what did you see uh, as a takeaway for today yeah um you know a big piece that stuck out to me kind of first overall about Joanne i thought it was really nice to hear her talk about how much it meant to her um to you know, make sure that positive outcome is for everyone involved. Um, you know, not necessarily who just who she's representing. Um, you know, I think it's easy for people in her situation to just kind of see the end game and as she made it the win loss game. Um, so I want to give her a little shout out there. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. She was talking about kids um, in divorce and how you know the younger kids actually take it better than the older kids. That was something that I'd never really thought about. Um, but it kind of made sense the way she said, you know, the younger kids are more adapting to change or more welcome, you know, they can kind of adapt and, uh, the older kids have this vision or, you know, this experience of their family for so long being together. And then all of a sudden it's split. So I thought that was really interesting to hear her talk about. Nice. In for my own uh, kind of bent too is, you know, I, I guess what what kind of lends out in my mind is when you hear divorce, is you hear the litigation side, yeah. right? Is is you kind of go right there, and to obviously you hear a little bit about mediation or arbitration, but I had really not heard about collaborative divorce really as a theme at all. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because it's just not not somewhere that I've lived in terms of my personal ex- expertise. So hearing a lot about collaborative divorce and bringing in experts and having them kind of say, all right, here's where the gaps are when we break this thing apart. And how do I get uh, one of the one of the uh, members of the relationship? How do I get them financial literacy? And how do I get you kind of grief counseling because you're grieving the relationship? All of those things, right? Is mm. how do you how do you parent in this way? And all all of those things are are really necessary to make sure that that both parties are whole coming out of it. And I think that's the hard part is it's, it just seems like sometimes there's, we're incomplete uh, when we kind of uh, sever those ties. Yeah. So that was a really interesting thing. And as she said is, yeah, it's, it can be a little more expensive because of the amount of parties you're bringing in to right. kind of coach through it, but important from a kind of the best outcome perspective. And I, I so I really liked that. I, I thought that was, that was really uh, synonymous with, again, what we're kind of doing on the show and, and kind of the, the kind of the career coaching and that we saw with Barbara Babkirk and some of the retirement coaching and life coaching we're seeing through our practice with the lens of financial planning. Yeah. So it, yeah, it kind of has this nice synergy that's kind of flowing through a lot of these shows and these experts we're bringing on. So again, I, I love that as a theme. So uh, I, I want to obviously wrap up the show at this point. Uh, we are at episode 21. One. 21. Okay, 21. So we have her ID legally. We <laughs> we can enter those stores and buy adult beverages. That's all that's all part of it as part of a show. We're growing up. We're growing up. So appreciate it, the journey, uh, everybody coming along with us. If you want to read more about us, again, we're going to have some more re- uh, resources, uh, especially articles relating to Stan of Maine and, and Gray Divorce, because, again, I, that's something we want to hone in a little bit more. So some some statistics and stories you have there. We'll have it underneath blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 21. Okay. And um, also want to uh, just kind of promo, we have a Facebook page. Um, so if those of you are on Facebook, we're nearing uh, 500 uh, likes at this point. 
uh, getting a lot of great interaction and feedback going on the page. Uh, Curtis is doing some really great work in terms of getting video clips from these shows out there. Uh, if you want to engage with the community a little bit more, feel free to go there. I think that's a really great place. We're doing it also on LinkedIn. You can give us uh, a follow on LinkedIn as well. Yep. So on the uh, on the social pathways, we're, we're there a little bit more actively. Love to have you check us out there. Reach out to us. Uh, again, you can see our contact info on guidancepointllc.com on about us yep. you can reach out to abby myself uh, curtis there feel free to do that um but until next time we'll uh, we'll see you later ladies and gentlemen you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in maine podcast while this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness guidance point advisors mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.